Hello everybody and welcome to Okay, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong, a podcast for understanding economics. I'm Dave Yost. So today I'd like to take this episode to retrace some thoughts from an earlier earlier econ rant, but I'm going to expand on them somewhat and take them in some new directions. Now, if you're worried that this makes two guestless episodes in a row, don't. I've got several interviews lined up in the next few weeks with guests that I'm pretty excited about, so you won't have to deal with just me talking at you for a while after this. Uh, I'm also okay with this episode because it's the result of a message sent to me by one of the listeners out there, so thanks Mike for sending me this link. I hope this proves that I do actually read and respond to your comments and requests. Anyway, in response to my previous episode where I dissected an article about uh, millennials not eating at enough national chain sit-down restaurants, uh, Mike sent me an immature link and apparently this tactic of blaming declining profits on some fault in the younger generation is far more of an epidemic than I had realized. When I uh, recorded that earlier episode, in fact, it would seem that the Business Insider runs a regular series of articles laying a wide and varied range of our economic woes at the feet of kids these days. So, because, as I had previously mentioned, I really hate generation bashing, and because some of these articles, while ridiculous can lead to interesting discussions on the state of the modern economy, and and because I was just pretty stoked that Mike sent this to me, I thought we'd go through these claims and see if there are any other explanations other than just kids being wrong about everything that they do. Now, I'll put the imager post that Mike sent to the podcast face uh, that that Mike sent me to the podcast Facebook page, so you can see it for yourself. But it's basically a long scroll of articles which all use similar terminology to bash millennials for driving the entire economy into the ground. This does, of course, include the article about sit-down restaurants that I talked about before, so I will skip that one since I think we pretty well covered it. The first article I want to go into is from the Business Insider, dated 24 July 2017, and was written by Dennis Green. It's titled, Millennials are Killing the Beer Industry. And just to keep things fun for those of you playing at home, let's say that every time I cite an article that claims that millennials are killing something, take a drink. Disclaimer. If you're listening while you're in your car, I do not encourage you to drink while driving. And if you do decide to drink along with this episode, you're probably going to get pretty sloppy. Because apparently, millennials are killing everything. Now that we have that established, let's see what what the kids these days are doing to the beer industry. In short, which is pretty easy because this hard-hitting expose is only five paragraphs long, the kids aren't drinking enough beer. Now, this assertion is based on uh, Goldman Sachs downgrading uh, Boston Beer Company and Constellation Brands based on data that younger consumers aren't drinking enough. 
that data is a 1% drop in beer penetration from 2016 to 2017 with an expected overall decline of 0.7% over 2017. So let's just challenge, challenge the premise of the argument here. Is the problem that kids aren't drinking enough beer, or is the problem that these companies aren't making the beer that people want to drink? Boston Beer Company is the umbrella under which the variety of Sam Adams beers are produced, and Constellation brands include Modelo and Corona. So what we're looking at here are big beer companies making standard beers, though Sam Adams is still considered a craft beer in the technical sense. But what we've seen in consumer behavior over the past five years is an explosion in interest in local craft brewing. Uh, last year, cra uh, the craft brewing uh, market share topped over 10%. And since 2011, the number of breweries in the U.S. jumped from 1,986 to 4,225. I think it's safe to say that consumers, regardless of their age, are sending big beer companies a message, and it's that they don't want your product. The shift in the beer industry is actually really fascinating, uh, not just on its own, but also because of what it can tell you about economic trends across markets. If I can find the right guest, I, I promise I'll do an episode on it, and, and you may be saying, what can beer sales tell us about the economy as a whole? But let me assure you, I can get from craft beer to Netflix in less than three moves. The short version is that beer sales show that U.S. consumers are not content with homogenized product lines anymore. Uh, throughout the 20th century, a great many corporate empires were built through creating and distributing a homogenized product, which is to say, a product which is exactly the same no matter where you buy it. The prime example of this is McDonald's, who did this better than just about anybody else, rising in popularity because of the comfort that consumers took in knowing that a McDonald's hamburger is going to taste the same whether you buy it in Salem, Massachusetts, or Salem, Oregon. And that seemed to be the norm for a long time. P people didn't want to take chances on whatever local delicacy a place might offer. They wanted consistency. But that's all changed. Today, consumers want to buy a unique and specialized product to suit their demand. They don't want an inoffensive lager. They want a triple Neapolitan nitro milk stout. Uh, they don't want a mass-produced burger. They want whatever the local interpretation of a burger is. They don't want television programming with mass appeal. They want something tailored directly to their interests told you I could get from beer to Netflix, but we'll leave that for another time. <clears throat> the phenomenon that this article is blaming on millennials is simply that big companies that sell homogenized products are losing market share to smaller, localized companies with a more specialized product. And that's not a bad thing. Most of the Larger beer companies have already started adjusting to this by acquiring these microbreweries so that they don't have to compete against them. If you still want a Budweiser, you can get one. But if you want a 
Butte, Montana Hop Explosion IPA. I made that up, but I guarantee you within five minutes of this podcast, uh, you know, hitting iTunes, someone will have invented that beer. Anyway, if that's what you want, InBev can give that to you too and still make money. What I would venture to say is happening here is that Boston Beer Company and Constellation Brands didn't diversify their product line and are looking to blame consumers for their, their error. But hey, blaming millennials is the new national pastime, so why not? The next article is titled, Millennials Are Killing the Golf Industry. Take a drink. And it is from Mallory Schlossberg of the Business Insider on July 1st, 2016. Once again, the gist of the article, uh, the, the devious millennials just aren't golfing enough. Now, unfortunately, the article asserts that rounds played are down, but doesn't bother to include the actual statistics. So there's, there's not much to go on there. But let's consider why a whole generation of Americans might not be interested in pursuing golf as an activity. Now, I am what you might call an occasional golfer. I don't play very often. I'm not very good. But sometimes hitting the links with some friends is a fun way to spend a Saturday afternoon. As such, I do know one thing about golf. It's expensive. It's a a sport that requires you to pay to enter the course, pay for additional items like carts or club carriers, and that's all after you have to pay for clubs, bags, balls, tees, and then of course, beer. Except no. I almost forgot, apparently the kids wouldn't drink beer. Maybe they'd drink more beer if they played more golf. Anyway, just doing a quick search, and by no means truly scientifically, but it looks like a low-end set of clubs would run you a shade under $200. And again, that's a sunk cost before you even pay to enter the course, before you even tee up ball one. So, given that, could we think of a reason that a generation of kids who statistically make 20% less than their parents' generation did at the same at the same age might shy away from golf? It's a real mystery. As for the golfing industry, I'm not sure they can necessarily fix this one. I mean, either millennials will pick up the game as their incomes increase through the course of their career, or the golf industry will have to contract. I will say, this article strikes one hilariously tone-deaf chord when they point to one, one sector that the kids like being camping supplies. It quotes uh, Matt Powell of a, uh, from an industry research firm as explaining that millennials like camping equipment because it can be used in a variety of places, like their own backyards is a little funny that he thinks that millennials can't afford golf clubs but are homeowners. Next, we have yet another article from the Business Insider by uh, Mary Hanbury uh, from July 13, 2017, titled, Millennials Could Be a Problem for America's Most Iconic Motorcycle Brand. 
no drink. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, but it's nice to know that the millennial killing spree has been downgraded to could be a problem. Now, this problem is manifesting itself in a similar way to industries that are being killed by millennials, so uh, maybe take a sip, but not a full drink. Uh, basically, sales are down at Harley-Davidson, and it's because these damn kids won't buy motorcycles. Again, blaming consumers for lower sales is an interesting strategy, as if a company can guilt us into buying their product. Consumer demand isn't right or wrong, it simply is, and a company can respond to changes in that demand or not. The tactic of blaming consumers suggests that Harley-Davidson made the right amount of bikes, but somehow we're all just not getting the message that we need to buy them. Interestingly, the article quotes a Morgan Stanley analyst named Kimberly Greenberger who offers a new explanation. She thinks that millennials, having grown up during the Great Recession, have been... (laughs) psychologically scarred, her words, in a way that continues to affect their spending habits. Now, an unwillingness for young consumers to go into debt to buy luxury items would normally be categorized as prudent frugality and be something that kids should be proud of, but I guess when it causes a mild dip in profits, apparently it's a psychological problem. Next, we have another contribution from Mallory Schlossberg. She's the one that wrote about millennials killing golf, writing for, you guessed it, The Business Insider on June 21st, 2016, in an article titled, Millennials are Obsessed with the Style of Life. And it's killing retailers. Take a drink. Here, Schlossberg writes an article that sounds like it's being shouted at kids from an old man's porch. She proffers the idea that retailers should give up their, uh, quote, obsession with pursuing millennial consumers even though millennial consumers now make up more of the potential market than baby boomers. As she quotes Robin Lewis, who is the laudable title of retail expert, uh, as saying, uh, quote, this, this generation that is bigger than the boomers in population, but their wallets are smaller, and they are more into the style of life than the stuff of life. Which is a statement that I would pick apart, except... I have no idea what that means. Lewis goes on to say, quote, They're not that into a lot of shopping, uh, which is why malls are floundering. Plus, they can find anything they want on their phones. In a macro sense, like in the book The Demographic Cliff, the developing world is getting older and the younger demographic isn't big enough to replace them. The world is going into recession because you don't have enough young people coming into it, unquote. Okay, let's ignore the contradiction of saying that millennials are bigger but also somehow smaller so as not to replace the boomers. 
I think that speaks for itself. I'd rather pick the statement that millennials aren't into shopping. What they really mean to say there is that millennials aren't into shopping in the way that the industry is used to. The next sentence, after laying the blame for floundering malls, uh, is that these kids can, can buy anything on their phones. So, are millennials not shopping, or are they just not going to the mall? There's always a weird cognitive dissonance at play here, because if you ask anyone who's been alive over the last 30 to 40 years, they'll tell you that the advent of the internet was groundbreaking and changed everything. Then, turn around and wonder why things aren't the same. No. Millennials don't shop the same way previous generations did because they don't have to. Because you can buy anything from your phone. So, why do we feign surprise that in a world where you no longer have to go to the mall to shop, people no longer go to the mall to shop. Does Robin Lewis expect consumers to keep going to the mall out of tradition? Nostalgia? A better, more convenient way came along, and people started using it. It's also not all generational. My mom buys things on her phone. She'll even, she even showrooms retailers, which is, uh, that's showrooming is where you go to a brick and mortar retailer to check out an item, then purchase it from an online retailer, uh, often while you're still standing in the brick and mortar store. Uh, now this goes on and on and on a simple Google search of the words millennials killing will bear a wide variety of results. The millennials are killing the car industry. Take a drink. Uh, it's an article written for drivingsales.com, laying the blame on these kids and their use of rideshare services. Again, lambasting millennials for not going into debt to buy a new car and instead simply using other cheaper alternatives. This would normally be considered the responsible behavior of a mature adult, but somehow it's a problem here. Are millennials killing credit? Take a drink. Is an article written for eMerchantBroker.com, which similarly blasts these kids for not piling up debt like their parents did. Steve Easterbrook, uh, the global chief brand officer for McDonald's, another great job title. That... That title should come with some elaborate headgear, or a cape. Uh, Steve Easterbrook criticizes millennials for being, quote, promiscuous in their brand loyalty because, quote, they have a wider range of choices than the generation before them. As if it's the kid's fault for not wanting your product when there is a myriad of other better options out there. Consumers, regardless of their age, do not owe a company brand loyalty. In a free market, that company needs to earn its customers by making a better product at a lower price. Not expect them to shell out money just because it hurts their feelings when they don't. 
the height of ridiculousness might be an article written for, you guessed it, Business Insider, by our old friend Mallory Schlossberg on March 28, 2016, uh, titled, Millennials are Killing the Napkin Industry. Take a big drink. In it, she points to a survey that showed that only 56% of shoppers bought napkins in the past six months, while 86% said they purchased paper towels. The article then goes on to parse the functionality of a paper towel versus a napkin, but I can't get over the fact that, at least according to the wording of her own article, this is a trend across all consumers, but... Mallory Schlossberg still tags millennials as the culprits. And I would ask what the alternative is. Should consumers buy napkins, despite the fact that they can get the same function from a paper towel, just out of habit? Clearly, Ms. Schlossberg has found her niche. Find an industry that is experiencing less than exponential growth, and blame millennials for it. I get it. It's a great way to get older people to click on and share your article because generation bashing is, is, is in. What kills me isn't even the pointless maligning of the youth. It's, the kind of sh- it's that this kind of shallow analysis is taken as being legitimate financial news, a, a, an indicator of the economy's strength or, or lack thereof. It's more than a little ridiculous. <laughs> in fact, in, in response to an article that appeared in The Economist uh, on June 30th, 2016, titled, Why Aren't Millennials Buying Diamonds? Uh, someone with the Twitter handle, uh, Juggalocialism, uh, tweeted, a quote, You just threw darts at a board and hit millennials and diamonds and shit out 5,000 words connecting them, didn't you? Unquote. And that's pretty much what we're dealing with in a nutshell. Uh, Kate Taylor, who had written the article on millennials killing casual dining, take a drink, came uh, back on uh, June 5th of 2017 with an alternative explanation that still manages to miss the point by several miles. Her article for The Business Insider, titled Psychologically Scarred Millennials Are Killing Dozens of Industry, and It's Their Parents' Fault. (laughs) Take a drink and, I guess, pour one out for your parents. Uh, In it, she responds to criticism she had been getting for her previous Millennials Killing article uh, by explaining that what she meant was Millennials are killing these industries, take a drink, uh, but it's not their fault. It's their parents' fault. So, you may ask, if not Millennials, and if not their parents, who is killing these industries? I guess I'd, I'd answer that by, by pointing out, again, challenging the, the premise of the question, that none of the declines outlined here are killing any industry. They may require certain industries to contract, 
accepting that they will sell fewer products and thus reducing their production and, and overhead. But if they adjust, if they adapt, they'll be just fine. The problem is that that this idea is 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 antithetical to the minds of, of business professionals. They don't think in terms of of relative profits, but rather only in comparing this year to last year, this quarter to next quarter, and and insisting that those numbers always get bigger and bigger onto infinity. This is entirely unrealistic and is likely born out of pressures from shareholders to always show explosive growth from year to year. As I've said before on this podcast, I'm I'm a person who never wants to exclude chaos as being the correct answer to a question like this. I think it's important to consider the possibility, and I don't think it's true in most cases, but it, it may be true in some that the people making decisions don't know what they're doing, or at least aren't very good at their jobs. Again, I, I have reasonable faith that, that most corporate leadership uh, are fairly competent, but we've seen too many examples in recent history, especially in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, that clearly demonstrate that just because you've risen to the top of a company doesn't necessarily mean you actually understand your own product or your own market. The likelihood of this possible explanation goes up when you consider that many of the skills and traits required to rapidly climb the corporate ladder don't match the skills and traits required to have an understanding of the corporation itself. The ability to the politic in your job is, is an enviable skill, but part of being to being able to make anything sound good or put on a convincing enough show or impress the higher ups doesn't necessarily mean that you have the, the the depth and breadth of knowledge required to run the show. And those that do have that knowledge but lack the ability to, to politic or schmooze will probably never end up in charge. I have to admit that I actually love the fact that uh, incompetence and mismanagement among corporate leadership is so often dismissed as a possibility when examining these markets. Well, it can be frustrating watching people reach for their answers to avoid coming to this conclusion. I appreciate the inherent optimism that causes us to avoid using that as an explanation. Uh, to the U.S. And, and, and I think to most of the world, we operate under the idealistic assumption that the world just naturally functions as a meritocracy. That if you have risen to a certain level, then you must know what you're doing, because otherwise, how could you have gotten this far? And I think we also know that assumption to not always be true, that there's a part of me that doesn't want to shatter the illusion because that inherent belief that the best, most qualified, will always rise to the top is what drives us all to do better. Again, I can't speak to frequency with which you can explain declining sales on the fact that some corporate leaders just aren't good at their jobs. 
or lack the understanding to be, but it should always be kept in the hopper of possible explanations because it's it's certainly plausible. Uh, in the companies where this is the case, you're going to you're going to see a failure to understand business cycles, a a failure to recognize shifts in your consumers' demand, a, a failure to adapt to those changes, and a tendency to blame anyone and anything you can in order to keep the fault from landing on you. And that is what's killing these businesses today. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening to me. Shout for my soapbox. Again, we uh, can all look forward to the next couple of episodes, which will will be interviews. Uh, If you like what you heard, Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. If you want to let me know how wrong I am, then feel free to join the OK Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong group on Facebook, where you can post comments and make suggestions for future episodes. And if you really want to support the podcast, remember that the best thing you can do is to let other people know about it. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time on OK, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong.